0: Welcome to episode 11. We're starting a set of three intimacy weeks, and today we're going to talk about everything. This lesson is aimed to get you to think more about sharing all of those things on your heart and mind as you move more and more toward oneness, being fully seen, known, and loved for who God made you to be, quirks, ticks, and all. Our brokenness has really messed that up, though. So let's listen as Ryan points out some key ways to pursue intimacy the way God designed Talking about emotional intimacy is one of those things that is ch- it's difficult. It's it's exposing. It's challenging, but it's worth it because it gets right to the heart of marriage. It, God's intention for marriage. What what is it? You know, you might things might come to mind for many people. Finding your soulmate. It could be for for pleasure. It could be for raising a family. Those those might be. Side benefits of of uh, marriage, but the truth is, God has a very clear intention for it, and He wastes no time in revealing what that is. It's literally in the second chapter of God's Word, in Genesis chapter two. We're told why He created marriage. He says this: "says Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." This is a glimpse of what marriage is supposed to be according to the intention of the Creator. Adam and Eve, they experienced what we deeply long for. And none of us have fully realized what's described here. Hopefully we are experiencing foretastes of it, but this is what it looks like apart from sin is that God's intention for marriage in a word is oneness. That's our first blank here, actually. God's intention for marriage is for the two to become one. Now, this oneness involves a number of things. For example, commitment. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. I mean, that, that is a huge relationship for anybody is their relationship with their parents. He says, this Marriage relationship is to uh, eclipse the relationship you have with your parents. It's you're to be more committed and utterly and totally devoted to to each other before anybody else. So that includes parents, that even includes kids. It's about commitment to one another. Another aspect of oneness is companionship. I mean, in Genesis one and two, we see God creating companions for the animals. Zebras had zebras, rhinos had rhinos, but for Adam, there was no suitable helper for him. It said, after God declaring that one thing after another was good, before sin came into the picture, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And in doing that, God, he brought Eve to Adam. He created Eve. And she's a suitable helper, a companion. So this emotional intimacy involves companionship. Physical unity, that's, or sexual unity, uh, that, that we're, we're going to talk about next week. But sex is part of the design, the intention of God in marriage. And then emotional intimacy. Captured in the phrase, they were both naked and not ashamed like I said, none of us have experienced fully what that is, but we've tasted it and we know that we long for more, whether we even cognitively know that or consciously are aware of it. We long for this oneness because this is the intention of the creator. In, in, in a real simple way to define it, emotional intimacy is a vital aspect of oneness. And, and the way I would define it is, It's to truly know and to be truly known. Emotional intimacy is to truly know and to be truly known. More characteristics here listed on your notes. That means transparency. Adam and Eve were totally transparent. They had, they literally had nothing to hide. They were both naked and had no shame. So there's total openness with one another. There was honesty and authenticity. They had no masks. They showed their emotions as, as, as they were experiencing them. There was no faking. They were absolutely real with one another. They were vulnerable, completely and totally vulnerable with each other. Because again, they, they felt no shame. There was no self-protection going on. There was a safety there between the two of them. And there's no need to cover or hide because they had no fear of rejection. And then I'm assuming this to be the case. They had a presence with one another that they weren't distracted. They distracted with other things. When they were together, they were attentive. They were caring. And and I, I just I think about the way emotional intimacy might look today for us is you can't really experience emotional intimacy while checking your email or you know, watching the sports center over your wife's shoulder. You, you, you need to be present and attentive. This is a picture of love and intimacy in its purest form. And, and God expects us to experience this oneness. This is his standard. It's his desire. And like I said, this is what you deeply crave, whether you are aware that you crave it or not. Deep down, we desperately want this. Now, there's a problem, though, because emotional intimacy is elusive. It's elusive to everybody. Guys, <laughs> why does the sentence, we need to talk, strike fear into our hearts? You know, when, when our wives ask us that, it, we, I think we fear emotional intimacy. And I think women do, too, on, on different levels. Emotional intimacy is scary because of a simple word sin. It's because of Genesis 3, when sin entered the picture. Obviously, this needs to be unpacked. What, what happened? When, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they sinned, what did they do immediately? You see in Genesis 3, 7 and 8, immediately after that, it says, Then the eyes, when they both took of the fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So immediately they made clothing for themselves, they covered themselves, and they hid themselves from the Lord. They, and I believe they hid themselves from each other as well. Sin caused all these characteristics of emotional intimacy to be immediately unraveled to be undone and just like Adam and Eve we too have sin and because of sin we all have something to hide no matter who you are no matter how spotless relatively spotless your record is or how you compare to other people it doesn't matter where you are we experience the effects of sin you know, there's the overt sin, that what the Old Testament calls transgression, where you rebel and you knowingly do what is wrong. Maybe you've said something or you've done something terrible, you feel guilt. We want to hide those things. But then there's also, there's iniquity, another Old Testament word for sin. Iniquity is just that we tend to worship the wrong things, we tend to live for the wrong things, and inside we often harbor dark, maybe lustful, or angry thoughts that we just know that deep down we're not as clean as we look, who we really are, we want to hide that, what's really going on in our minds. Another word for sin in the Old Testament is sin. (laughs) You see, transgression, iniquity, and sin. Sin it's actually the word that means to fall short of the glory of God, to fall short of God's standard. That we all know that we are supposed to be more than we are. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we don't. And the way that looks for me is I feel a sense of inadequacy. I feel a sense of guilt over not being who I know I'm supposed to be, and I want to hide that. We're all aware of sin in our lives, varying degrees, and I think a cocktail of all those that I described swirl around inside us. We want to hide it. We feel condemned by it, and in a sense we feel shame for it. So to take from the words of Genesis 2, unlike Adam and Eve, we are not naked and unashamed. We are naked and we feel shame. Let me get real practical and just boil it down to two things. Sin destroys emotional, intim- emotional intimacy in these two big ways. And you can see it in your notes in these boxes. It stops us from fully knowing. It stops us from fully knowing our spouses. And on the other hand, it stands in the way of us being fully known. Let me give some examples. First, sin challenges us to fully know our spouses. I kind of tackled this last week when we talked about understanding. And these are things you can list in the left-hand box in your notes. Ways sin stops us from fully knowing our spouse. One is just simply laziness. Emotional intimacy takes a lot of hard work. It requires hard work. Nobody coasts into emotional intimacy so at the end of the day you'd rather turn on the tv or play a game on your phone or scroll facebook or whatever it might be it's just easier to live parallel lives next to each other rather than turning to each other in talking and connecting it takes hard work it could be fatigue i know brandy and i feel that after the, we put the kids down we're just so often we're just done we're, we're tired but then there's other reasons there's selfishness and there's pride my life concerns are more important than connecting i i i will be checking my email sometimes because i think well i need to continue to be productive because i need to continue to move forward with 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 what i'm doing like my my world is more important that's selfishness and pride there's other times where it could be i'm afraid of this endless conversation that might happen and i don't feel like i can afford that or i'm afraid even worse of of a fight There's other things. Resentment, self-righteousness. We can be judgmental. Instead of knowing and accepting our spouses, we can judge. We can hold grudges, hold on to resentments. The list goes on and on. That's one side of it. The other side is the challenges to being fully known by our spouses, allowing our spouses to fully know us. I think this is even harder because being fully known is scary. Deep down, like I mentioned earlier, we know that we're flawed, we know we fall short, we have sin. So I think the big thing is, and with the explanation point here, it's fear. Fear of all sorts of you know, kinds, I, fear of inadequacy. I don't want to be seen as weak or clueless. I don't want to put my incompetence on display for, for my wife to see. I'm afraid of opening up old wounds. We, I'm speaking for myself, but I think for many of us, we're afraid of conflict. And I suspect that behind the fear of conflict lies this more insidious fear, which is the fear of rejection. There's very often, I don't want to open up about something because I'm afraid that this will lead to a conflict, and behind it the inevitable results. All these other fears are going to be revealed in that. Then there's just others. There's the mix of, of, like I said, expectations or resentment, a mix of all the above. So emotional intimacy is very challenging and i would say beyond challenging in many ways it's apart from the gospel i think it's it's impossible because our sin paralyzes us from truly connecting so so what i've said so far is that god's intent for us is to experience oneness being fully known and fully knowing our spouses, but the the problem of sin, it's left this devastating impression uh, on, on us, preventing that from happening. Sin has even deadened our sense that we need emotional intimacy. I often, I think I forget that I need this emotional intimacy, and then I go and substitute it with things that are infinitely unqualified to fill what, what, what God has put in me, this desire to connect. So I, I fulfill it. I, I try to substitute it with a host of other things. It doesn't work. So that in and of itself is bad news, but there's, there's good news. Jesus can heal you and he can heal your spouse and he can heal your marriage. And that's, that's what he does actually. He can heal us where we sometimes we feel like that emotional intimacy ship has just sailed. Jesus heals marriages over and over and over. And here's how he does it. This passage that I quoted, Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, is, is actually quoted in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. You know, you can't start pursuing emotional intimacy by just focusing on your marriage. God has an intent for us to experience that, but if we're going to experience it, we need to realize that it's not about the marriage first and foremost. It's actually about our relationship with Him. God doesn't want you to start by focusing on your marriage. He wants your marriage to remind you to focus on Him. God wants your marriage to remind you to focus on Him. Think about it. Look at what God has done for us in Christ. Jesus has never had anything to hide nothing to be ashamed of he's holy he's glorious and through him god's holiness swallowed up sin it destroyed sin without destroying us he he did that so we could live once more with god in peace and harmony and when you when you look and when you think about jesus as as he's revealed in the gospels he's holy right he comes and he walks among us. And then who does he reach out to? He reaches out to sinners. He befriends tax collectors and prostitutes. who's called a drunkard and a glutton because he hung out with these party animals. He hung out with the, forgive my language here, but with the scum of the earth. And when, you know, in the Old Testament, if you see purity intermingling with impurity, the impurity made the pure impure. Dirty things make clean things dirty. That's common sense, but not when Jesus is there. The holy, the, the clean and pure Jesus comes and he's, he hangs out with these impure people and you see sin being swallowed up and, and cleansed. And so what that means for us is we no longer need to hide behind fig leaves around God. In Jesus, God says in effect to us, I see you. And I don't want you to be afraid. I'll make you new again. You no longer have to hide, Ryan. I'll cover your sinfulness and shame with my son's perfection. Step out and be seen. But the challenge is, even if you believe that you're clean in Christ, we still feel that tension of our sin. And it doesn't mean that we're That it doesn't mean that we aren't accepted by Christ. We just, we feel the ongoing presence of sin and we have to learn what it looks like to keep on walking in faith that we are clean in Christ. And we have to deal with the fact that horizontally, we still do face the real possibility of being rejected. Even when God accepts us, we still might experience horizontal rejection. True honesty and openness requires faith. But it's a, matter of, it's a matter of worship, living before God. And here's why. My next point here. Emotional intimacy with your spouse grows as you grow in your emotional intimacy with the Lord. And it can work both ways. Your emotional intimacy with the Lord can grow as you grow in, in intimacy with your spouse. But I think primarily we need to learn to draw near to God in order to open up with our spouses. This love and forgiveness that God gives us means that you can walk openly before Him and that allows you to walk openly before your spouse. Let me give you a personal example of this. For me, uh, it didn't take long when Brandy and I got married and I've alluded to this before. It didn't take long for me feeling this temptation to hide from my wife and I did because I didn't want this but I was secretly hoping that my struggle, and it was a lifelong struggle, with lust, one of many sins that I struggle with. But I was kind of hoping that, oh, this this sin, will it won't be quite the struggle that it was before because I'm married now. And as a pastor, not just I mean, as a Christian, but as a pastor, I, I find that lust is inexcusable. It's reprehensible, but I still see it in my heart. And it, yet it didn't take long after getting married to see that, no, this sin is alive and well in me. I tried to talk to Brandy on a couple of occasions about it, and the conversations they didn't go so well. And out of that, I became self-protective. I began to hide. And over the years, that hindered, you know, I don't know how long it took, but it hindered me from you know being fully known by Brandy. And then as this as that went on, through a combination of things i just had to share with brandy and it was it was kind of ugly and painful it hurt brandy but the truth is i don't need to go and hide from god or hide from my wife i'm not saying that i don't struggle with hiding ever but this is this is what i have to go to in order to not hide first john chapter 1 verse 9 says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to start by going to God and confessing and knowing that I'm forgiven in Him, I'm, I'm cleansed in Him. The one that I ultimately should fear, I don't have to be afraid of. And, and then to this day, I can hear the tempter, the accuser, accusing me of, you know, see that darkness in your heart? See that inconsistency in your life? Hide that. But when I begin to hide it, then emotional intimacy, it it goes away. It vanishes. I begin to die inside. That's how it works. But when I realize I'm clean in Christ, my sins have been covered, God fully knows this, he fully sees it, and he has swallowed it up. It gives me the ability to open up. My sin doesn't define me because it's covered. Doing that with God, this is a repeated theme in these messages. Going to God first, and then you can go to your spouse. So practically speaking on your notes, you start with God, and then you humbly go to your spouse. And I have some ways that's fleshed out in your notes. When you start with God, confess. Confession is vital to fellowship. You can look up those verses later, but those, those verses are beautiful pictures of confession. Psalm 32, we get to look back with David on the way confession rescued him from being stuck in his sin. Psalm 51, we get to listen in on his actual confession after committing adultery with Bathsheba, killing Uriah, and then there's 1 John 1.9. Secondly, you can abide in him. You know, if you're abiding in Christ, apart from Him you can do nothing. You need to abide in Him and simply pray. Ask for emotional intimacy. I want to challenge you not to be self-satisfied with whatever level of emotional intimacy you're experiencing. Pray for more and then humbly go to your spouse. In some aspects of that, be intentional. Turn off the TV. Pursue time together. Do things that allow you to be face-to-face or if it's safer, side-by-side, you know, but talk. Confess vulnerably to your spouse. Try to understand how you've hurt your spouse. Let your spouse see your sin. You are really, by doing this, you're giving power to your wife or to your husband to reject you, to hurt you. But you can trust God. It, it that's the that's the good news and that's vulnerability and then if you are being confessed to then show grace and humility you know we are much quicker to receive the unconditional covenant love of god than we are to offer that love to our spouses am i right i think that's something we all we all struggle with but show humility and grace and speak the truth in love this is how God has loved us. Can we not make that effort, that same effort to love our spouses in the same way? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you have, you fully know us and you've come and you've pursued us. You've known us in an intimate way and you didn't reject us. In fact, you paid for our sin, you covered it up, and you've loved us. Would you, out of that, out of the safety that we have because of the gospel, would you allow us to begin to walk with our spouses in a way that we pursue emotional intimacy? We want to experience the intimacy that we have with you. We want to experience that intimacy with one another. Would you make this happen in our marriages? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.